Xtox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. And today's episode is sponsored by Gilson. Enjoy the show. Looking for ways to automate your tedious lab tasks? Gilson can help. We automate sample dispensing and transfers so you can walk away and focus on your research. Choose from pre-configured systems or assemble your own to match your application. We blend in with your existing lab workflows so you can avoid reworking your already established procedures. Gilson can even support you with protocol development to speed up your time to automation. Go your own way with our scalable and precise robotic liquid handling systems. Head to go.gilson.com xtalks to learn more or speak to an expert. That's go.gilson.com xtalks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Sarah Hand, Editor-in-Chief at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by a special guest, Dr. Joshua Cohen, Chief Medical Officer at Brayburn. Brayburn is dedicated to delivering solutions for people living with the serious consequences of opioid use disorder. At Brayburn, they challenge the status quo and champion transformation of the management of opioid use disorder by partnering with the community to create a world where every person with OUD gets the best possible care and opportunity to reach their full potential. Dr. Cohen joined Brayburn in 2021, bringing extensive experience in pharmaceutical and clinical leadership, as well as a strong commitment to advancing public health policy and research. Prior to Brayburn, Josh served as the Global Medical Therapeutic Area Lead for Migraine and Headache at Teva, where he provided dynamic leadership for global launches, leading a matrix team of medical directors, scientific communications, health economics and outcomes research, and other global and regional functions. Dr. Cohen completed undergraduate training at Harvard University Medical School at the New York University School of Medicine and his neurology residency at Columbia University's Neurological Institute. Dr. Cohen, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. Um, So could you start off by talking about what motivated your decision to join Brayburn? Sure. Yeah, I've spent my career working in uh, disease states that are highly stigmatized and for which there is significant unmet need. Um, and, you know, I definitely saw that with with patients with migraine um, uh, in my, the first part of my career, both clinical practice and then at Teva. Uh, and so when I heard that there was an opportunity uh, to work in opioid use disorder at Brayburn uh, and be able to help uh, really a, a, a patient population that that really has pretty significant need uh, and uh, and is a very heavily stigmatized disease. I knew it'd be a good fit. Um, and you know, you mentioned the purpose of the company in in your opening there. Um, it, it really is something that we all are very passionate about. And I could tell that when I interviewed with the leadership team at Brayburn uh, and was just very uh, excited to join them. And, and it's been a great ride. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, what's the the current state then of the opioid epidemic in the U.S. specifically? 
Yeah, we're in a pretty bad way in this country as far as opioid use disorder goes. Um, as uh, I think your listeners will all be aware, there's a pretty significant opioid crisis uh, with an increasing amount of, of, of use, and uh, both fatal and non-fatal overdoses have been on the rise year after year. Uh, just in 2021, which is the last year we have full data for, um, the, uh, not, the fatal op opioid overdoses rose to over 80,000, uh, and that was an all-time high. Wow. And so how often right now is opioid use disorder being diagnosed, and, and how is it generally treated? Yeah, so uh, among people aged uh, 12 or older, um, about uh, five and a half million, uh, nearly six million have opioid use disorder within the past year. Uh, so it's a very, very prevalent disease, uh, but is also very undertreated. Um, you know, some studies have, have suggested that less than 20% of people with opioid use disorder uh, are actually on treatment. Wow. Wow. Um, so then that kind of brings me to my question um, about Brixadi, which was just approved by the FDA in May as the first long-acting buprenorphine treatment for opioid use disorder uh, that has both a weekly and monthly dosing option. So um, what's the significance of, of this approval? You know, there's a, there's been effective treatments for patients with opioid use disorder, but continues to be a significant unmet need, uh, which means that additional options for treatment are needed. Um, what we're hoping is that with the long-acting injectable formulation, uh, as, when it's combined with counseling and psychosocial supports, that this may really provide an additional benefit for patients uh, that are trying to manage moderate to severe opioid use disorder. Um, the um, long-acting injectable allows the patient to go to their healthcare provider and receive their medication, uh, as opposed to having to, uh, to take it on their own at home uh, um, and otherwise manage the disease themselves. Uh, so we're hoping that uh, this could potentially help patients be more adherent to treatment uh, if they're able to uh, go into uh, their their healthcare professional, get their treatment in the office, um, and then come back either a week later if they're on the weekly or a whole month later if they're on the monthly formulation. I see. Okay. So I'm interested then to learn more about uh, the technology behind the development of Brixadi. So could you explain um, how it's converted into a, a liquid crystalline gel after it's injected? Sure. So, uh, so Brixadi uses uh, a very special technology um, that's called uh, fluid crystal injection depot technology. It's developed by our, our partner in Europe, Camerus. And uh, the, what happens is when the liquid uh, is injected, uh, when it, it hits the subcutaneous tissues, it actually forms this biodegradable liquid crystalline gel. Uh, and that's not always palpable under the skin, but can be. Um, and uh, it's a very small needle uh, containing the fluid. It's only 23 gauge uh, so that it can be given just for a subcutaneous injection. Uh, and, uh, and then it remains as a depot within the, the, the subcutaneous tissue, slowly releasing the drug over either that week or month, depending on which formulation the patient has received. Um, the medication is also stable uh, at room temperature, so there's no need to refrigerate it. Mm, oh, that's great. Uh, and, and then could you 
speak to some of the challenges of ensuring that a medication like this is not uh, misused. So um, maybe you could tell me a bit about the, the risk evaluation and mitigation program that's been put in place for Brixati. Sure. Uh, so uh, talking first about, about misuse, you know, there's, um, there is a, a lot of literature about uh, the potential for buprenorphine to be used um, by patients who are not prescribed it. Mm. Uh, uh, some people call this diversion, others call it non-prescribed uh, buprenorphine use. Um, because of the way that, uh, that Brixati is being um, administered by the healthcare professional, it actually greatly reduces the likelihood of it. In fact, the Office of the Inspector General did a study and suggested that there was a very, very minimal risk of uh, diversion of uh, long-acting injectable forms of buprenorphine. Um, so, you know, again, taking that out of the patient's hands uh, and ensuring that um, that they're not the ones uh, taking the medication, but the healthcare professional is, is giving it to them, it prevents that diversion and also prevents, you know, things such as pediatric exposure if it was in the home. Um, mm. So we're hoping that can, uh, can really help patients. Um, as far as the, the REMS go, the Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Program, um, so Brixati is uh, being uh, administered, uh, distributed under a REMS program. And, and the purpose of the REMS is to make sure that patients aren't uh, being handed the medication to do the injection themselves. Mm, uh, I see. It's really important that uh, that a healthcare professional do the injection because there there is a risk um, of uh, potentially even fatal complications if the injection was not done properly. Uh, mm. For example, if it was injected intravenously instead of mm. subcutaneously, um, so that's why we want to make sure that uh, the product is never distributed directly to a patient; that it's always distributed to the healthcare professional who then does the injection for the patient. Okay. That's good to know. Um, what does the, the treatment plan look like for Brixati? So I, I guess it probably depends upon the patient and their needs, um, but, but how long would a patient normally be, be treated with it? And, and um, what does say coming off the drug look like? I don't know if you can comment on that. Yeah, so um, there's there's been a lot of debate over the years in, in the field of addiction medicine as to whether patients on buprenorphine should come off buprenorphine uh, after a period of time. And, and there used to be attempts to, to taper patients off. Um, but I, I think the, that currently the perspective of the field is that there's a great risk to patients coming off of treatment. Um, mm. because uh, of then the risk that they're, they're no longer protected by the buprenorphine. Um, and so they could resume uh, utilization of opioids. But um, even more concerning is that there is, a, at that point, a very high risk of overdose uh, after you come off the, uh, the medication that's been protecting you against it. So, mm. um, so oftentimes, patients will remain on, on buprenorphine for an extended period of time. Um, uh, that being said, we do have a, a study, uh, an investigator-initiated trial that we're uh, supporting um, that is looking at discontinuation uh, of our product to determine um, in certain patients who are interested in discontinuing, what does that, uh, that treatment taper look like and, and how can patients uh, taper off if that's what they and their healthcare professional decides appropriate for them. Okay. Um, and you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, this idea of the, the stigma around OUD. 
Um, where, where do you see um, the field of addiction medicine? You know, where are we now and where do you see it going in the future? Are we, are we going in the right direction to be able to um, help these patients in the best way possible? I think we're certainly seeing progress. I think that there's been uh, a lot of attention on the opioid crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And I think um, the, the public's very well aware of, of how big of a problem this is and how we really need solutions. Uh, we've seen uh, great strides being taken um, in the policy arena as well uh, in a very bipartisan manner. We're seeing uh, movement on a lot of uh, key areas to help patients with opioid use disorder get the treatment that they need, um, remove barriers to, uh, to care for those patients, um, uh, while also helping hopefully stem the tide uh, and, and reduce access uh, to, uh, to illicit opioids um, to, to try to help assist patients uh, in, in that process. Um, so I, I think we're moving in, in a positive direction, but we have a long way to go. I mean, it, it still is a very highly stigmatized disease, and, uh, and, and that's both by society, but also, you know, in every aspect of a patient's life, uh, they, they often will face stigma, whether that's from their employer or even from their family taking medications uh, to, to treat their opioid use disorder. They, they may get uh, stigma from, from those family members. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think we need to continue to, to work in that direction, um, and we need to continue to find uh, good treatments for patients with opioid use disorder to help them begin and sustain their recovery. And then what's what's next for Brayburn? Yeah, so we're really excited that we're uh, we're marching towards launch of this product. The plan is uh, for Brixati to be available in September, mm -hmm. uh, and so we're really focused on making that that launch successful so that we can provide the best possible access for healthcare professionals and their patients uh, to provide uh, yet another treatment option for patients with opioid use disorder. Great. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Cohen. Thank you for your time today, telling us about your work at Brayburn. Uh, that's the end of this episode of the Xbox Life Science Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to all of our listeners, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.